Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. The, the, the mental piece is really the more interesting and more important part to identifying somebody with the potential to, to win Olympic medal. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. That's this is right. It is our, it's our second anniversary. I know. And the gift for second anniversary is cotton. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. I have right. some Rio socks, maybe. I do. I you know, those Rio socks... Are comfortable they are comfortable that's true so i guess i should be wearing our, my rio socks to celebrate right. our second which we, we got uh from ed who was at the olympian show the other week so that's very nice we could also celebrate with an olympic fever t-shirt or tank top or hoodie that you can get from our merch store at tpublic.com slash olympfever also depending on the weather near you the weather near you right it's been a great two years so far. I'm excited about the next. I'm excited. Yeah, I know. I was about to say, and I'm excited about spending the next two years with you. Which sounds really <laughs> lame because that's just two years. <laughs> like that only works until you get like to your 20th anniversary or something. Then you're like, oh, I'll spend the next 20 years with you. Okay, that would have some. Can you imagine our 50th anniversary? I remember Pyeongchang 2018. We already do that. We already sound like old ladies half the time when we talk about, you know, 1980 or 84. So all we need to do is acquire the voices. (laughs) That'll happen. Give it time. Start smoking and drinking whiskey and we'll be all set. Yeah, I remember 2020. Yeah. When they had those crazy beds in Tokyo. (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to that. 
You know, if you're on our Facebook group, you would know who today's guest is. We dropped a list of upcoming guests on our Olympic Fever podcast group page. So be sure to check it out for that info, plus some great conversations about the USOPC Hall of Fame selections. People are talking about some crazy news that's been going on from the weightlifting world champs. And there's more. Like every day, there's something new to talk about. It's awesome. Join us on Olympic Fever podcast group on Facebook. Apparently, I said every need, everything I needed to say on the Facebook group. <laughs> Uh, today's guest is triathlete Joe Malloy. Joe was the top American finisher at the Rio 2016 Olympics. He placed 23rd out of 55 entries, and he also anchored the U.S. team at the International Triathlon Union Triathlon Mixed Relay World Championships, which gave the which helped give the U.S. its first mixed relay world title. He currently works for USA Triathlon as its Collegiate Recruitment Program Coordinator, and I talked with him at the USA Triathlon Age Group National Championships in Cleveland this past August while he was looking out for one of his athletes. So you'll hear, you'll hear elements of that in the interview, along with the crisp vocal cords of Team Olympic Fever member Tim Yount announcing in the background. Take a listen. When you're developing an athlete, like what do you do with her? Or so... So basically, we, we we look for. I mean, the first the first part is identifying, mm-hmm. um, and what that that means both physical and mental. Okay. So so who's got who's got the the physical traits that or physical like strengths in a single sport discipline that could be a strength in competition on the world stage okay and then and then seeing if they have the capacity to develop the other the other ends okay like so generally biking is pretty easy to in, in our sport biking is the least there's the least technique to that okay so we um we usually view biking as something that can be taught pretty easily to someone with a good aerobic capacity. Okay. And, um, and then we'll look for, for people with swimming or biking, ba- or I'm sorry, swimming or running backgrounds. And, uh, and then just see if they have, the, the, the mental piece is really the more interesting and more important part to identifying somebody with the potential to, to win an Olympic medal or to to compete for the United States uh, at one of these world events. Okay, so what does it take mentally? Um, I think I think there are far more Olympians out there than people who go to the Olympics. Like, oh really? There are there are far more people who people with the physical gifts. There's there's plenty, but it's finding somebody who who understands that making the choices you need to make in order to in order to get there that means that you're going to have to put some other things in your life on hold um, and you're going to you're going to miss you're going to spend a lot of time away from home and you're going to be living out of a suitcase mm-hmm. and you're going to be opening yourself up to yes these peak performances and these peak experiences but also to some really disappointing races and some times where you're really not sure if you want to keep going. Okay. Um, and and who's who's got the belief in themselves and the commitment to the process and their goal 
that they can weather those highs and lows. Okay. Can you tell like about, so we're what, half a mile from the end of the run course or so? Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell by looking at her when she comes down, like how she's doing? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and that, but that's on a certain day, you know. Okay. It's, it's 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 that's why it's important that uh, as an organization we look we look at all different types of athletes and talent, um, different types of back people with different backgrounds, people with kind of all sorts of who bring all sorts of different things and strengths to the table mm-hmm. because we don't know we don't know what's going to happen it's okay. it's life you know right <laughs> at the end of the day so um the best we can do is just pick people who we believe in and we mm-hmm. think have potential and then give them the space to grow um and, and that me that's you know whatever it means it's some for some people it's connecting them to the knowledge they need to take the next steps in their development to for others it's supporting them with some help from our sponsors and getting Mm -hmm. them some equipment Um, and for others it's just helping them to see a future for themselves in the sport okay Um, because sometimes sometimes I think this is true for for most people out there Uh, I think we all need somebody in our lives who can say hey look this is a strength for you and this is Mm -hmm. where it could take you and and so that's that's what I do. Okay, oh, that's, that's a cool job. I it is. Say, it is a really very cool, cool job. job. <laughs> All right. So how did you get sucked into triathlon? Because you were a swimmer and a runner. Correct. Right? Okay. Correct. So I grew up. I, I actually grew up lifeguarding on the Jersey Shore, and the swimming and lifeguard or the swimming and running kind of played into my preparation for the lifeguard competitions. Oh, okay. Which is what I really enjoyed. Okay. And and it was it was just a huge party atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um and I really didn't find anything similar until I got to triathlon and it was a real I showed up and raced my first one and I was really impressed by the community. Mm-hmm. And and I thought it was cool that the competitors while we all race one another there was this kind of feeling of like this connection between everybody and a mutual respect for you know like I see you out here and you see me and that's that's pretty cool like we're out here doing this okay and um and yeah that was that was definitely one of the things that definitely drew me to the sport and how old were you when you started triathlon so I was pretty old. Yeah. I was, uh, I was 20, 22 when I did my first, first race. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I, I didn't get into it until after I'd graduated college. Okay. Where, where I was just a single sport athlete. I was just okay. a swimmer. Okay. So then what made you, when did you decide, okay, I'm going to do this as an elite athlete and really go for it? It was an idea in my head before... I made the actual decision, but uh, I'd say it was pretty easy to decide after, I did two races in 2008, the summer after I graduated college, and they were nothing special. I was, I think I was like fourth and eighth or something, Um, 
and like by no means bad results but Mm -hmm. nothing that would say oh this kid's going to the olympics Uh and in the second one i lost to a kid who i swam with in college and i decided you know what i'm not going to let him beat me again so i trained (laughs) i trained my butt off that winter and that means she's coming and um I don't know who they say she is. So I'm, I'm distracted. Sure, sure, Sorry. no, no problem, no problem. Safe sport, safe sport, come on. <laughs> Inside joke. Lying. I don't <laughs> see. Unless this is her. No. No, we can keep okay. talking. All I right. don't see sure. her um, So, uh, you weren't going to, you trained really hard. So yeah, so I trained really hard because I didn't want him to beat me. And uh, and then that following year, I won, I went on a streak where I won every race I entered. And I finished it with winning the age group national title. Okay. And, and I was just hungry to be out on the course where I could race other people. Okay. So, so I turned pro because that was the next step. It was the next challenge. Okay. Um, which is an, a nice kind of segue into one of our, our listener, Anthony, was curious about the distances you run and, and bike and swim in training versus the actual <laughs> race. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> so, so my race was I prepared for the Olympic distance triathlon, mm-hmm. uh, which we, we finished with. Well, it's a 1,500 meter swim, Mm -hmm. a 40k bike, so about 25 miles, and a 10k runs, or 6.2 miles, Mm -hmm. is what we finish with. And our training, and I know this is this is most people around the world will train in this range. We'll we'll prepare by swimming about 30,000 yards per week. Oh wow! Okay. So, um, which is a fairly high volume. And, um, excuse me, this is sure, our girl. Sure, sure. You look great, Gabby. Nice Get it. Get it. Nice job. Go win a national title, Gabby. First? Yeah. Do you want to go down there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Okay. All right, sweet. Cool. Um, so that was great. That's our girl. Um, but anyway, uh, what was I trying uh, to answer? You were uh, oh, training. The, the training. Yeah. So thousand yards then, a week for swimming. Yeah, and and we would do that based uh, between five or six swims okay. a week, and then in in biking at the top levels, we'll ride. Um, between 10 and 12 hours per week okay and of course not not all of that's intense some of it's right. just ride into a coffee shop or something okay. with your buddies but um but it's it's 
it's just the volume and the reps. And in an endurance sport, mm-hmm. you just want to get out there and teach yourself how to do this when you're tired and okay. be efficient at it. Okay. And and running, it's it's different for everybody. It depends on the athlete. So I know guys and girls who were really successful training, running about 30 miles a week. Okay. Uh, I was and still continue to be more of a high volume guy. And I like running between 50 and 60 miles per week. Okay. And I, I also know athletes in triathlon who run upwards of 70 miles per week. How much do you brick and put the elements together? That's one of those things that depends on uh, philosophy, individual okay. preference. Uh, my philosophy as in, as for preparation has always been at the end of the day, while we're putting three sports together into into a just under two hour competition, mm-hmm. it's um, it's still you know it's still in, there's still individual discipline. So I don't necessarily think the fact that you bike and then run mm-hmm. means you need to train biking and then running as a as its own discipline. Okay. I think getting stronger on the bike and getting stronger on the run and however that makes it however whatever that means to you okay will make you better at a triathlon you don't need to think that it's totally different or you're in this different world just because yeah it's going to feel different going from 30 miles on the bike to if you're running fast you might only be going 15 miles an hour okay 14 miles an hour. 12 miles an hour okay. um, which is five minute pace okay. so so it's a it's definitely a different feeling but the preparation isn't necessarily very different okay interesting uh, our listener Brian was wondering about transitions how often you mm-hmm. practice just the transitions transitions are important so it's a deciding factor in most races and it's it's one of those spots where there's opportunity to improve mm-hmm. and you really don't need you don't need any physical gifts to be great at transitions you just need to recognize them as important and practice them so i would do it pretty much every bike ride okay i'll start with mm-hmm. you have to get on the bike anyway so mm-hmm. i'll start with the mount okay and i'll start with my shoes open okay and i'll take the first couple of minutes of my bike ride maybe the first 10 minutes and ride without the velcro strapped on my bike shoes okay because there, there are decisive parts in the race where you have to be comfortable biking like that. Uh-huh. And, um, and I, I really think endurance sport is a sport of, it, it's a discipline of imperfection. Mm-hmm. Because you, you can't be perfect. It's not a 20 second sprint event. Mm-hmm. It's, you can't, nobody can be perfect for an hour, two hours, or eight hours in Ironman. And it's a matter of the, the successful athletes are the ones who are able to notice when they drift and their focus wanes okay. and then bring it back and remember, wait, wait, come back to center. Remember what I'm here for mm-hmm. and stay focused on the, how, how do you, how do you then keep that focus for a longer period of time the next time? Okay. And then when it go, starts to go, bring it back again. Okay. Interesting. Um, Rio, how is the water? It was over, (laughs) over overhyped, overhyped. Thank you, media. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, 23rd is obviously not the result you wanted, but how was the race for you? Yeah, disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing. Uh, it's, you know, it, you're, you go, I, I think every athlete goes to the Olympics and recognizes that, you know what, this is, this is top three or nothing. Um, and ideally you want to win. So, so the, to cross the finish line, anything but those positions, you're going to be disappointed. Okay. And um, and then it's tough to know that you're not going to get another shot at that, maybe ever. Right. Um, but definitely not for four years in triathlon. We have we have one race, mm-hmm. so you get it right or you don't get it right. And um, and that's that's a hard thing for any athlete because you're you're so trained to to go from one thing to the next and you just you're like okay well what's next and then all of a sudden when the next is four years away it's really hard to see what's next okay um how was the course was it difficult or uh, did you guys it was do the same course it was fantastic the, oh was it Except- yeah but you're talking to a guy who loves to climb hills on his bike. <laughs> I was gonna say, don't they, so, didn't they use the same like the, as the track cycling course that was really hilly, curvy? It, it was it was a similar landscape. It, we didn't use the exact same roads, okay. but um, but yeah, the way Rio is, it's it's the whole city. It's just a series of flat beach stretches, mm-hmm. and then you go two blocks inland, and you're going straight up some wow. hill. Okay. Uh, so absolutely gorgeous ocean views and um, just really we had a very steep hill steep descent um, eight times because we, we did eight laps of that and and again it was an endurance sport so it wasn't that one time up the hill is decisive it's the fact that you have to do it eight times at a very hard effort and then run a fast 10k afterwards that make, makes it tough it was hotter and humid I, I like I like it when it's tough um, no it, it, to be honest we had beautiful conditions yeah, yeah. It, it was it was fantastic and uh, that's another thing if you can if the listeners can remember back Zika was a huge word yeah, oh gosh, yeah. that everybody it, it, it was like Olympics number one Zika number two probably on Google search and uh, it was it was winter, so there were no mosquitoes. So it was it was it was really fine. Um, and it's it's truly a shame if some people were thinking of not coming down because of what they what they were hearing. Oh, that's funny. Um, it was it was beautiful. Nice. What was the village like? <laughs> what what's the rating on this podcast? <laughs> So it's I I I I mean there's definitely there's definitely a little bit of a party atmosphere in the village, but it's also it, it goes back to that thing I was I mentioned earlier about the community, and it's it's just a real community of athletes who we we're all different shapes and sizes, and there's this just huge level of respect that each athlete has for one another because 
you know how hard it was for you to be there. And you look around and you, you recognize that, you know, each athlete in here has his or her own story of what it took to get here. And you don't know what it is, but you know it wasn't easy. And you know they, they really put a lot of things that they also wanted on hold um, in order to have this experience. And being there for one another, you, you want you want them to have a great experience too. And you so so you want to say, hey, what's going on? Get to know people from different countries, different places. Um, there's a little tradition where they give you a bunch of pins, uh-huh. and it's like a little icebreaker. And everybody's country has their own pins. Uh, like the people from Holland, their pins had little wooden shoes on okay. them. Um, and you're encouraged to go up and talk to people, trade pins, uh-huh. get to know different cultures, and um, and I think that was really cool. That was one of the core ex- parts of the experience. Thank you so much, Joe. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Triathlon, and he is at Joe Malloy on Instagram. And we will have both of those links in the show notes. And I want to say he was really cool. I really wanted to. It was another one where I really felt like I got insight into what it takes to be excellent. Well, I don't know what he was talking about, about where he was saying the race is so long, you can't be perfect for a whole hour. I'm perfect all the time. (laughs) Not laughing at you. I'm laughing. I don't know if I even should be laughing with you. (laughs) I mean, at the very least, I'm perfect for the hour every week that we do our show. So I I don't know what he's talking about. But I'm glad he said the lengths because I was always very confused about how long they did things. Because mm-hmm. it does so seem it, like it's kind of random, but kind of not. Yeah, and I figured there was a standard, but now we know. And I can't do any of them. Oh, come. Oh, that's right. You don't have a bike. You can't. I don't know how. I do not know how to ride a bicycle. Hmm. It's not only that I don't have a bike, I don't even know how to ride one. That's it's so interesting. It's so sad, I know. And there is a story behind it. We're not going to get into it. We'll save that for the Patreon <laughs> patrons. <laughs> if you really want to know why Allison can't ride a bicycle, just support the show and you'll find out. Okay. Speaking of supporting the show, it is a nice coincidence that Joe talked about trading pins in the Olympic Village because we have our first full-fledged show sponsor, pincollector.com. And before we start our sponsorship campaign with them, I talked with owner Frank Allman about to learn more about the site. Take a listen. Frank, what is Pin Collector and why did you see a need for it? Well, it grew out of our own love for pin trading and collecting, especially at the Olympics. The need for it is that pin collectors are all over the world Pins are a physical thing, and it's hard to get together, you know, in a physical space to share all that. So we were looking for a digital way to uh, kind of bridge that gap with the physical world. And so what it is is Pin Collector is the world's largest single collection of images and information about Olympic pins. It's a platform for buying, selling, and trading and it's a community for pin collectors to be in touch, ask questions, share information, and just generally share the love of the hobby with people wherever they might be. 
you talk about the the pins are you have the world's largest database of pins where do you get your information from and how how do you authenticate the pins well that's a really important point and kind of the exciting part about pin collector so the the information the whole database is built contributed maintained by the pin collecting community by people who love to do this and know what they're talking about there's different words for it. it it's crowdsourced it's community curated if you think of wikipedia it's the same principle so everybody can add and update and correct and modify information that's in there for the benefit of everybody else and as they do that's done in real time and instantly available to all the other users and what's really exciting is that you have experts in there that in within pin, the pin collector community there are experts who've been in this hobby for decades so they really know their yeah. stuff yeah and that's really the point is that with their input people can feel secure that they're getting good information from a reliable source and it's not somebody you know who's kind of got their own axe to grind as it were it's for hobbyists by hobbyists all that one of the things you can do on Pin Collector is trade and sell through the platform. What makes this platform better than, say, eBay or another auction site? Well, because it's the only people participating and the only items that are being transacted are Olympic pins by Olympic pin collectors. And so if you're looking for a specific pin or information about a specific pin, you don't have to sort through a ton of other stuff to find it or hope that the person you're dealing with is reliable. You're likely to know the person or you can get to know them because you can contact them directly through the site and ask questions and see what they collect and how they've contributed to the community. And so it's very focused on, in this case, Olympic pins only. The rates are a little bit less, the, you know, it, it's easier because of that, but it's just all about Olympic pens and Olympic pen collectors. Then how do people join? Is there a cost to join or register with the site? Or uh, like I, the listeners always know, I like to know where the money comes in. So talk to us yep. about like what it costs to join or to uh, be involved in trading or selling. It's free to join. Our motivation is to get as many people involved as we can. And so we, we're trying to eliminate barriers to that so anybody can join anytime for free if you want to buy and sell as opposed to just being a member and using it for the enjoyment of seeing pins and things if you want to buy and sell you have to have a paypal account to make funds transfers and there's a transaction fee when you sell something it's eight and a half percent which is a little less than most platforms but that's the only time you incur a cost is when you sell something through the platform the pin collector and PayPal and everybody involved shares that eight and a half percent. Oh, excellent. So it's really, uh, it's an easy and I would say relatively cheap way to keep your hobby going versus something like an auction site. Yeah, it's very inexpensive. And so it's got other benefits as well. So you can keep your collection on there in a, in a digital form so that you always know what you have. And as more people participate and more transactions happen, it will keep live current price data. So you can always know the total value of your collection, for example, for insurance or estate purposes. 
it's there constantly at the press of a button based on the latest transactions for the pins that you own. But that's also one of the reasons it's so important that we get a lot of participation because the more the better, the more accurate, the more current, the more complete all that data becomes as people use the site the way it's intended, everybody benefits in all those ways at the same time. Excellent. We can get to the site at pincollector.com, correct? And is there That's anything right. else we should know? No, you uh, you can't hurt anything, so you're, <laughs> anybody's free to go in and look around, and press buttons, and see what happens. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, yeah. thank you very much. We encourage people to play around with it. We've got an exciting partnership with Pin Collector that we'll be revealing within the next couple of weeks. However, our Patreon patrons already know what's happening. We are so grateful to our patrons and donors whose financial support really helps us be able to put in as much work and effort on research and finding and interviewing guests and producing the show. So our patrons get advanced notice of some big doings on the podcast and some levels even get bonus audio. Learn more about ongoing patronage at patreon.com slash oldenfever. If you'd rather give just a one-time donation, you could check out the support and sponsorship page on our website, oldenfever.com slash support dash the dash show. And supporters, if you're a supporter anyway, you get first, you get first crack at information that's really cool about what's going on behind the scenes. Very excited. Very excited about the sponsorship. I'm having a very hard time not talking about it. Okay, well, let's move on then to our Team Olympic Fever update segment. <laughs> this is our segment where we update you on what's going on with our past guests who make up what we call Team Olympic Fever. Samantha Achterberg got married this past weekend, and she married the lovely gentleman, Carl Schultz. I haven't seen yeah. any pictures yet. I have not seen any pictures, but they have posted pictures from their Hawaiian honeymoon. Oh, have they? Oh. So, so yes. So Congratulations to Sam and Carl. That is very exciting and wonderful. And good luck to them. Yes, definitely. In the world of bobsled, it's bobsled season again. So there... How is that possible? I know. I know. So USA Bobsled had its National Push Championships. And our Team Olympic Fever bobsledder on the men's side, Josh Williamson, he placed fourth overall. So the competition works like the men push from three positions. They push from the brakes and the right side and the left side, and they combine all those times. And Josh's combined time was 13.33 seconds, and that qualified him as fourth place. And the top five people were in within a, a tenth of a second of each other. Wow. So it's just crazy how the comp how strong the competition is in the on the men's bobsled team. And then our women's bobsledder, Lauren Gibbs, she did not compete in the championships because she applied for a medical waiver. Oh, she was hurt? I, yeah, I know, and I couldn't really find anything about it. She didn't say anything on Google and I didn't really see anything on Insta because she's all excited about Elena Myers Taylor being pregnant. I so, was gonna say getting ready for another kind of push championships. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So I don't know what's going on with her, but hopefully she's not too terribly hurt and will be back on the track soon. And finally, the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant just got home from announcing the wrestling world champs in Kazakhstan. And now he's going to be heading back out to Tokyo to announce the Olympics wrestling test event. I'm really excited for him. I think it would have made, is there a lot of time in between the two events? You know, there are a couple of days, but I would imagine he had his ticket for, well, there's a couple things at play, probably. He had his ticket for Kazakhstan, probably, already. And I don't know if changing it would have been enough 
to just jet over to Tokyo or there's the I wouldn't mind seeing my wife and daughters for a couple of days. <laughs> I'm just thinking it. in terms of distance, like coming all the way back from Kazakhstan I know, I know. and then going back all the way to Tokyo. I wouldn't be surprised if the money for his tickets and stuff came out of different budget pools. Oh, that, that's So, true. you know, you probably couldn't mix them too well. That would be my my best. Because we know so much about international travel for sporting events. Right, and we're exactly. going to tell Jason how to do this. <laughs> Jason can tell us how to do it. We want to hear all about it, Jason. Um, Let's move on to some IOC news. The Korea Herald newspaper reported that North and South Korea would would still like to do a joint bid for 2032, the Summer Olympics then. And uh, the South Korean President Moon Jae-in met with T-Bok to talk about it. So, like, seriously, they had talked about doing it back earlier in the year, and now they're like, hey, T-Buck, we want in on this 2032. Huh. No Queensland just yet. Let's not start, you know, buying our tickets to Australia. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it's going to be on that side of the world. Could be. That's where a lot of the bids are coming from. So we'll see. And you've just had 2028 in the Americas, 2024s in Europe, so it kind of makes sense to cycle back through. And by that time, you, well, it'd be 10 years since there was an Olympics, winter or summer, in in the Asian That's region. true. So. That's true. It's it just hard. feels like we've spent so much time in Asia recently, just because that's I know. now. It's, yeah, exactly. But, but by 2032, it will feel completely different. Yeah. And we'll be saying, oh, I can't believe Tokyo was 10 years ago. 12 years, however long ago, you know, or Beijing 2022. I can't believe that was 10 years ago. And after all the whiskey and cigarettes, I'll be like, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's our 15th anniversary. <laughs> Let's move on to Tokyo 2020 news. Doping. Yeah. Doping. Russia's back, and guess what? They're afraid they're going to get kicked out of Tokyo 2020 because WADA found insecurities in the data that it got from the Moscow lab samples that the Russian doping agency, anti-doping... Oh, that's a good slip of the tongue. The Russian doping agency. The Russian anti-doping agency. (laughs) Okay, Usada, here's a little piece of advice. If you don't want to get kicked out of the Olympics, stop doping your athletes. Right, just, just a thought. Yeah. And don't hurt the ones who aren't doping by allowing the doping to happen. First of all, and then covering it up. With, Yeah, exactly. So those are the claims. We'll see what happens. But WADA has found these inconsistencies and said, told Rusada and the Russian sports ministry that they have three weeks to explain themselves. It's a lot more than I would give my daughter. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> she gets three minutes to explain herself when something like this would go wrong. I mean, three weeks is an awful long time. I think we're giving, we're just being too easy on these kids. Well, I think the diplomatic world is very different where everything is still like, I'm sending you a formal letter and we're making statements and those letters take time to put together. So we shall see. That's what uh, Inside the Games told us. And then the IOC Athletes Commission released a statement that, that said, oh, shocker, they were extremely concerned to read the latest reports. And, you know, they they don't want, they want uh, the process to happen as swiftly as possible. I think somebody needs to start acting like a parent. Well, that's, not forcing, your that's forcing the IOC to 
act like a parent and they don't like that role. We know that. You know what? I am not your friend. I am your parent and I'm going to deal with you, Rusada. They might get dealt with. We'll see. They've got a lot more time this time to contemplate the ban thing. Because remember last for Pyeongchang, banned in December, games in February? Go to your room and think about what you've done. (laughs) And come out when you have an explanation that I find acceptable. Well, and it was interesting because, you know, Rusada turned over the data. And then you started to hear rumblings of oh well they'll get back any day now though we might we might let them back in or they might be back in the fold happy and everybody's one big happy family again and then this bombshell drops so it's just a mess you got to start acting decently so we can rebuild that trust if you snuck out at night i'm not going to trust you the the next day no because they're acting like spoiled brats and i'm really tired of this behavior (laughs) you tell them mom oh you know who you can trust, apparently, when it comes to food safety? T-Bock. I saw this, <laughs> and the best part of the article are the comments. Oh, I have not looked at the comments. This is an article in Japan today that T-Bock is supposed to assure participants that Japanese food products are safe following the Fukushima nuclear crisis in 2011 apparently well I can I can see where there some of that would be an issue that they have inspections around that area for radioactive substances and the distribution management of their food in that area and it's according to the International Atomic Energy Association and UN Food and Agricultural Association everything's adequate and apparently Fukushima Prefecture is a big producer of fruit oh, okay. for all of okay. Japan. So it, it, it made sense. But I kept imagining T-Bock with his little hairnet <laughs> and his little white <laughs> coat going, going. His, his little food-sized Geiger counter going, oh, are you safe, Peach? <laughs> Do you pass apple? <laughs> oh, no, 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 banana. You are atomic. <laughs> But he would say it so nicely in that wonderful <laughs> diplomatic way that he has. But yeah, he's he's the food safety expert. I guess so. Who knew? T-Bock, med- Olympic medalist, a lawyer, IOC president, food safety expert. You know what else is going to be very safe? Your paper bed? Yeah. <laughs> this, is... this just came out. The, the organizing committee really had a big event and to-do and release of what the beds are going to look like in the so these, Olympic and Paralympic Village. Right. So these are the beds that the athletes are going to sleep in. And the bed frames are made out of cardboard. And when I first read this, I said, oh, so they just are made out of cardboard, but they don't look like cardboard? No. When you look at them, it looks like they <laughs> took a packing box and folded it like origami and created a bed frame. It is very clearly cardboard. It was amazing because it holds like 220 kilos. Kilo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that they, they will be able to hold any athlete that comes in. And then they have mattresses that will be adjustable. They will f- be able to adjust to yeah. the uh They have, they the have three sections, top, middle, and bottom, and you can adjust the firmness. Which is impressive. Right. I, I hope they have the XM extra longs. Oh, I do too. Because remember, there was the issue. Oh, yeah. There's always the issue. <laughs> there's always the issue of the tall athletes, and that bottom of the bed is 
way too short for them. And the bedding is all recyclable. Yeah, well, yeah, that was the thing. Like, after the games, they are going to recycle the cardboard beds. So, honest, honest to Pete, that's one of those, if you're a Paralympian, like, wouldn't you say, like, I got to pack this up and take it with me? Like, getting an actual bed from the Olympics would be well, such a collector's item. It just looks like it would fold flat like an Ikea box. Yeah, but you'd have to know how to put together. That's true. And the pillows supposedly are fancy, too. They have a divot for your neck. Mm-hmm. So it's always supported, however, you know, and, and it adjusts to if you're sleeping on your back or your sides. The mattresses will also be recyclable. And the bedding. Yeah, yeah. It's all going to be recycled into plastic components. I'm I'm sure that some of the bedding is going to be reused because I have seen some of those blankets show up at different places. And yes. doesn't the Team Olympic Fever member uh, Tessa Gobo, doesn't she have hers? Yes, but Rio? they gave them. She okay. didn't steal that. Okay. There was a blanket. There was like a top blanket that they could oh, take right. home. Okay. Tessa Gobo is no thief. No, I understand that. Though she would have had the issue with a short bed. She, she, she might have, yeah. She might have. We didn't ask her about that. So now I want to know from everybody who's going, like, what what are those beds like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be a question. Every time we talk to a Tokyo athlete post-Tokyo, how is the, be, how bed? Is the bed? Yeah. Well, I hope it's better than the Sochi doors. <laughs> I hope nobody is putting their foot through their bed frame. Although I can imagine that they'd have people on call with big hunks of cardboard that they just fold. Here you go. New bed. But they came in like sections. Did you see the video? Yes. So they came in in sections that almost look like you could take you could roll up the mattress and then use the bed frame as a like a footstool or a, a chair. Okay, I just had this vision of you accidentally kick your bed frame or, you know, you're a swimmer and the paper gets all wet or something. And, you know, suddenly there's this whole team of like, like you would see at Disney that just come in and swoop in mm-hmm. and disassemble your bed and reassemble a new one. And you're left like, what just happened? It's right. like, Instabed. It's made of paper. So- sounds amazing. Actually, I, I kind of want to know what those cost. Like, I would think they would be cheap, you right? You would think they'd be cheap, but who knows? I mean, I, obviously some design effort had to go into creating them but and putting them together. But I mean, like material costs. Hmm. It's a box. Could be cool. Could I don't know. I'm excited. I'm concerned about them getting wet, though. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Swimmers, let us know. <laughs> and finally, the test events for powerlifting, taekwondo, and gold ball will be this weekend very excited they keep coming the test events keep coming are they gonna throw ice pellets at the spectators i have not heard i have oh no these are all indoor right these are all indoor indoor. events okay good (laughs) so we can improve the ice pellet situation see if you combine the ice pellets and the paper beds that is a recipe for disaster well i don't think then godzilla comes in and he's just smashing those wet beds like it's nothing I saw what he did to Tokyo. Why is nobody, why is there no IOC contingency plan for Godzilla coming through? We'll have to research that. I'm putting it on the list. Okay, that that is going to wrap it up for this week. I think I need to establish my own Godzilla contingency plan. Because that hatbrella ain't going to protect you. 
<laughs> hey, it might protect me from the ice pellets. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Let's hope. I don't know. They could <laughs> also <a> like. Shield. <laughs> well, you do you take it off for anything that was coming at your side, and then just stick your head out in front of anything else and bounce right off. And then you go home and curl up in your paper bed. And be fine. Well, that will wrap it up for this week. If you've done triathlon before, let us know how it went. Or if you're considering doing a triathlon, let us know if Joe inspired you. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com or call our voicemail line at 530-763-3837. That's 53070-FEVER. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Insta at olimfever. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive. I think somebody needs to start acting like a parent.